Well, welcome, No Labels, No Limits, and No Excuses podcast listeners. It's time once again for an inspiring and interesting interview with one of our many guests. And today I am extremely thrilled to introduce you to Cortina Jackson. Cortina is not only an author, she's published a book that's done very well, um, but she's in the middle and getting ready to launch another book. And she has an interesting history of having wanted to be a writer since she was really, really young, but also of having faced her own challenges and overcome those. So Cortina, can I call you Tina? Yes, that would be just fine. Thank you so much. Would you... um, Introduce yourself more fully to our audience. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are, and um, kind of what you think you want us to know about you to take away. Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much. It is such a pleasure to speak with you, and I, I just really appreciate you for having me here uh, today. And uh, basically, in the daytime, I am a dynamic and highly competent safety and security professional. I have a master's degree in criminal justice, and then I went back and got another master's degree uh, in occupational safety. And uh, so from my working titles, the title I'm most proud of is that, um, as you said, as an author. Um, I've actually published two fiction thriller novels, and I am working on my third already. So very excited about, you know, some upcoming things uh, in my life and uh, I have two great sons that I'm extremely proud of. So that's uh, that's my favorite title. And the most important one is that of mom. Um, two great sons, as I said, 24 and 25. And so I'm in a very good place right now. You know, that they're, they're grown and, and I say my job is done. It's never over because they're always your babies. <laughs> yeah, you will uh, always be the mom. <laughs> that is true. That title will never go away. So... Well, I'm, I'm going to encourage folks after the podcast to check out your website because you've got some really great pictures and there's a picture there of you and your boys. And I just looked at you as a family and I thought, man, what a great looking family and smiles all around. Yes. Smiles all around. So I thought that was great. Before we dive in on your story, just say a little bit about the genre of your books, because when I read about them, I was very interested. And also um, how your own background or education in security has informed your ability to write so realistically those books. Yes, absolutely. So I've really been drawn into writing fiction thrillers. Um, the, the novels that I've written, uh, the first one, On Earth As It Is in Hell, and I always have to say hell twice because we know that the, the Lord's Prayer, On Earth As It Is in Heaven, so this book was called On Earth As It Is in Hell. The second one is called The Sounds of Silence Are the Loudest. I drew from, of course, my background from criminal justice uh, because I've seen a lot of horrific things. I, uh, I've worked in the prison system. Uh, I was a correctional officer for many years, and um, the prison I worked in was a psychiatric prison. And so these were actually uh, offenders who had cre- uh, done some of the most horrific crimes you can think of. And uh, back when I started, the only uh, thing we had to protect ourselves was a pen, an ink pen. They didn't have mace, and they didn't have all of these other things. It was a pen. 
And your job was to, to let them know, I'll write you up. <laughs> so to write up somebody who committed murder, you know, there was no such thing for them that, oh, wow, you're going to write me up. Not and a lot so, of leverage. No, not at all. <laughs> and so I had to use my personality. Um, we call it verbal judo, uh, where you have to use your words uh, to make a situation better. I used my words a lot. I gained a lot of respect um, from the offenders because I just treated them like people. And they would talk to me um, about a lot of things that they probably had not disclosed to anyone, their feelings about their crimes, their actual crimes. I learned a lot about people and a lot about victims. And um, it really helped me uh, in, in my stories. I could really draw from those because I, I saw that people were going through a lot of turmoil, a lot of hell here on earth. It has really, uh, as you read the books, you will see a lot of these graphic depictions of different things um, that I actually could draw from life and, and actually, you know, my own life as well. So I think that's a, a good point. So here you are, Tina, as an accomplished professional. professional. You have two master's degrees. You have two great kids. And yet you, the path to getting there wasn't necessarily smooth, even though you started really young with a dream of being a writer at an early age. Could you share with our listeners kind of that path and how you had to hold on to your dream and what, you know, how you overcame some of the obstacles? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I've always wanted to write. I've wanted to write since I was in the kindergarten and um, I fashioned my I fashioned a book out of two pieces of um, cardboard and I took them and wrapped them in Christmas paper. I taped on one of the sides a piece of uh, notebook paper and I wrote a story. Uh, it was a story of UFO, uh, UFO. I, when I go back and read it, I think, wow, how did I write that? You know, being in kindergarten, not really knowing what a UFO is, but I was able to describe it in great detail and write this story. So I've always known I wanted to write. It's, it's been something in me. But the thing that I love about this podcast, um, it's called No, La no Labels, No Limits. And I, I love this because the story of what I have, have accomplished, it has not always been the case for me. Kind of what makes my story so unique is that I was a police officer at one time and I was married to a police officer. And I was a, the victim of domestic violence. You know, this, this, is a, this is kind of the step that I've come from. Uh, humble beginnings, a little girl with a dream to become something and how that can be destroyed um, so quickly through, um, you know, self-esteem and, and abuse. And, you know, just that whole, you know, that whole situation can really tear a little girl's dream and a little boy down. And so... Basically, as a police officer, of course, people would say, hey, you're a police officer. You should have had all the help that you needed. Uh, you could have got away from that. And, um, you know, sometimes, even most times, this is not so easy. Uh, a lot of times women who are battered and abused, they hear things like, oh, you're so stupid for staying. Or, you know, I would have left. Or you must have liked it because you didn't leave. So it must have not been that bad. This actually furthers the abuse because there are so many dynamics that are involved as to why women stay. 
you know, I really believe when statements like that only confirm to women that they should just keep quiet about it, you know, because people wouldn't understand or care or even help the situation. You know, they just continue to tear down by being judgmental this way. As we were sharing before the show, before we started recording, that whole arc of victims or violence together, it can be very subtle and it grows over time so that your power kind of can, you don't even know necessarily that you've given it away. But on top of that, I want to acknowledge that you were also in a profession that doesn't talk about that. Exactly. Because it puts you, well, you're weak, right? Yes. You can be perceived. So then it's, it can be a danger to you. Um, and, and there are other professions where people are held in high esteem that I know having worked with women and men, that it's difficult because who's going to believe you? Exactly. Right? So there, yeah. you're right. There are a lot of dynamics. Did you have your boys already at that time as well? Um, I did. Um, actually, I came before my boys. My boys had to finish. Um, they had to finish elementary. I lived in a, a small t- town in West Texas. And I moved to Dallas, Texas. I got married, moved to Dallas, Texas. Big dreams, big opportunities. Um, I dreamed of becoming a police officer because I'd already, like I said, worked in the prison. And so I came ahead of them uh, so that we could build a home and I could start the job. And then after they finished um, elementary, they were going to start junior high in Dallas. Or actually, it's in McKinney. It's it's kind of north of Dallas, very beautiful um, suburb of of this area. And so I was very excited and, and came to build a home. And so when they did come, here we are, we have a brand new home, new opportunities. They were so excited, uh, just as I was, because we came from a small town and, and here we are, we're, we're getting to experience some, you know, some great things in life. And, you know, it was just a really happy time initially. And that faded extremely quickly, extremely quickly. And when I say extremely, about a month into the marriage already, it started. And so my my dreams, my hopes and dreams and excitement uh, was very short-lived, unfortunately. And that those feelings continued for many years after that. So yes, the boys were there and they had to experience uh, the abuse as well and kind of go through some of those same things that, you know, oftentimes women blame themselves for their children. And they do the best they can for their kids, hoping to give them a better life. And when they can't, this adds to the depression. This adds to the, the hurt because you don't you feel like you, you didn't do uh, what you set out to do for your kids and, and make life better for them. You've made it worse. Yes, to answer your question, the boys were very much involved. And abuse is a very, very hurtful situation that harms not only the victim, but others around them, you know, that are in that same, uh, they have to experience that same thing and and feel helpless to help the victim. You uprooted yourself to move to a new future that started out really bright, looking good. And then you were faced with having to leave all of that and start all over again. So how, how did you do that? I mean, and not necessarily how did you moment by moment do it, but how mentally did you do that? Because as you talked about it, it is, it erodes your esteem. And that took yeah. a lot of courage. And then here you are later with more masters and writing. So, I mean, how did you move through that? Um, basically, 
you know, to, to the way it started, and, and uh, this this may be important to a lot of women because I didn't even realize. I say I didn't realize that I was in a roller coaster. I called it the roller coaster abusive marriage. And uh, now that I look back on everything, I realized that I was in denial about the abuse. I didn't think it was that bad. And I figured I could put up with some pushes and grabs and, and bruises. And I could even take verbal abuse and, and some of the physical altercations because it wasn't all the time. Just when I made him mad. So that this, I know this is going to sound so strange, you know, and looking back to, to me, I, that sounds strange to me that I would say that when I was in it and didn't realize, you know, of course, that I was in that situation. So basically, I felt that if I walked on eggshells, kept the conversations very surface and made him feel accomplished, I was good. And if I did upset him uh, and, and it, did, it led to abuse, I thought it was uh, I was just paying my dues so to speak, for living in a nice home and having a nice car. My kids were going to great schools. And so I felt like it was my price to pay for these things. I was willing to pay in physical pain because I wanted a a nice life for my kids. And now that I'm away from it, I can clearly see how crazy that sounds. But during the abuse, you know, I didn't see it that way. The manipulation started even before we got married. And this may sound familiar. It started with him calling me all of the time, all throughout the day. I thought it was cute and sweet at first. I thought, wow, he's, he's always thinking about me. He's always checking on me. And, and then it became too much. I felt like instead of checking on me, he was checking up on me. So I was asking, hey, what are you doing? Where are you going? Where are you at? Who are you with? And when we got married, this got so much worse. We had joint uh, accounts and he would track everything that I spent. And based on the timeline of when I spent the money, he knew exactly where I was. So if I went to Burger King, uh, it's say two o'clock in the afternoon, he would call me and say, hey, where are you doing? What, what are you doing? Where are you at? I see you went to Burger King. You spent $5.95. But, you know, it, it was just like very strange that he would do that. But I thought... Oh, he's just keeping up with the finances, you know, to make sure that we stay on target. But no, it, it, was the, it was the way the manipulation began. When you're accustomed to doing things a certain way, this becomes the norm. You, you go along with what you know. Uh, as I work in prison systems, when we say chow time, inmates know it's time to eat. They become accustomed to that. They become used to that. You know, it, it becomes what they do. And so when you're in an abusive situation, things that are said to you or the way that you live your life, you become accustomed to that thing. You don't think of it as an abuse or I'm being manipulated. You just think, oh, he doesn't like it when I do this. Or he said he likes short hair and my hair is long, so maybe I should cut it to please him. You do what you can to please people, you know, in relationships. But this is how the manipulation began. You have made a huge shift. And as you talked about having, you know, being able to explain it, to rationalize it, to think it's just the dues that you have to pay to have the life that you have with your boys. At some point, a switch flipped and you made a different choice. When you did that, Tina, where did you go? What happened? And how did you go from that critical, really scary moment? 
to trust in something that now you're going to have to create on your own? Well, it came, uh, it wasn't my choice. As I was being abused and the abuse got worse uh, to this physical abuse, the whole time I kept thinking in my mind, I knew if I ever wanted to leave, I needed to get an education. And so I started then taking online classes and uh, to get my bachelor's degree. Of course, the abuse continued, but my whole goal was I need a better job so that I can be able to take care of my kids. And I stayed and stayed and stayed uh, seeking these better jobs. Well, what happened was I ended up getting my master's degree. I got the bachelor's and started in my master's degree. And that's when the abuse took a plateau. He became jealous. And I guess he felt like with me being more educated and able to sustain my life, he, he was losing that control of me. And so the, 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 the switch that flipped was actually, I had just finished my master's degree and was working on my first book. And that day he was watching television and uh, I asked him for help. I believe I needed his help to start making some, uh, some uh, business cards. And out of the blue, for no reason at all, he flipped. I guess he thought I was disturbing him watching TV. He got up, he threw my, my, my manuscript all over the house. My papers went flying everywhere and he attacked me. And it was at that moment that he tried to kill me. He grabbed my hair. He pulled me across my apartment, our apartment, and he tried to break my neck. He grabbed it. He, he twisted. I could hear my bones cracking. And the only thing that kept him from doing it is I, I got into the fetal position and I put my, my hands uh, around my neck. This made him so upset that he got up and he walked out of the room. I don't know what he was going to do, but it was at that moment that I knew I could not stay any, any longer. I jumped up, I grabbed my keys and my purse and I, I, I fled the apartment. The next day I went to work and collapsed. Uh, when I passed out, I told my supervisor everything. Before I had said nothing to anyone. No one knew I was in an abusive situation. I had just, as a matter of fact, I just started this job and I was in the job only for two weeks. So of course I'm not going to tell people I'm in an abusive situation, but at that point I knew I had no choice. He called the police. My husband was arrested and I had one day to get my stuff together as much as I could. And I did. I stuffed as much as I could in my car my important documents, clothes, anything I could get in the car, and I left. I drove from Houston, Texas to McKinney, where, where I, I moved, and I said, that's it. I will not go through this another day. I, didn't, I never did get to that, that place in my life where I had the money because my whole goal was, I need the money. I need a better job. I need a better situation, and, and it didn't come. My, the job I had was not great. It wasn't enough to sustain my life. But I didn't have time. I knew I had to go, and I had to go then, and that was it. I I left, and um, of course the long drawn out abuse. Uh, it led to uh, more depression. I thought, you know, here I am. I don't have the money. The the thing I think about the most in going through depression, and it wasn't so much depression leaving him. Uh, I think I'd lost the love long ago. I'd lost the love after. <laughs> After month two, when he started, if he first started abusing me, it became basically a marriage of convenience and need. I, I need to provide. I need to be a good provider. 
and I need to keep quiet about this or I'll lose the jobs that I do have because I, like you said, I'm in a, I'm in authority. I'm, I vow to protect other people and I go home and be abused. What credibility will I have with people? How can I tell women, Hey, you know, get out of that situation. And I go home. So I dared not say anything at that point. I had a master's degree. Uh, the, the supervisor who called the police uh, was able to transfer my job to where I lived. And I went to the first apartment that I saw. And this is the importance sometime of, of kind of telling people what you're going through. First of all, telling my supervisor, I got results. For the first time, the police were called. The next time I went to the apartment and I told them, ma'am, I don't have any money. I've, uh, I've been abused. I literally am just driving in and I need a place to live. And, and I like this apartment because it had an alarm system. When I looked, it had an alarm on the door where you could set it. I said, ma'am, this apartment really um, is something I need. And I told her, she said, ma'am, it just so happens that we're doing a look and lease today. You can move in with no money down and we're waiving your first month of rent. And that was that was my breakthrough. I was but both to- of those came when you actually shared something so people could help you. Yes, yes. I think as women, we tend not to do that. And then when you're in a dire situation like yours, like you've already explained, psychologically, it's scary to do that. Yes. It absolutely- that was so important, you know, to have those advocates. It's interesting, you know, how how that was that you you went because of the alarm system and then whether that she was having a lease and look or she just made it the tina jackson lease and right who cares right right? you got an apartment so you have shared some really important pieces those two right there right of of not staying invisible and and reaching out but you also you know like you had planned there would become a time that it would be okay like you would be in my mind i think okay i'm ready today and you were working towards that ready today, better job, or you know, and it hadn't come yet. But then you had to be ready before you were actually ready. Yes. So how has that influenced you? Or how do you go through when tough things hit you now? How do you handle those things? After going through it, you know, I, I, I won't say that things were easy because things became, you know, they were still very hard. I was basically living pay, paycheck to paycheck. And so... When situations did come up, people do different things, but mine was prayer. I prayed. I prayed. I, I come from a, um, a religious family. Uh, my parents, my father's a, a pastor, and, and, and my mom, a very, very wonderful woman who taught me the power of prayer. And so when times got hard, that's all I had. That's all I had to rely on. I, uh, you know, still kind of held on to some of that shame, told the people that I needed to tell at the right times. And thankfully that worked out for me. But then of course, you know, you don't want to start going into everywhere, everyone you meet, Hey, I've been abused because there's still that shame and that worry that people will look at you different. But I made up in my mind that it was time to start living for me. I had, uh, my children were grown up. They were off to college at that, that point. And I got my master's degree and it made me very proud that I was accomplishing something. And it started pushing me. Uh, once I got settled, I said, I'm going to, 
I'm going to finish my book. I'm going to write this book. I wrote the book very quickly before it had taken me a little while to develop the, the character and the plot, but I knew exactly what I wanted to say, um, describing this character who had been through hell. And so I drew off of that. And as I'm describing the character, I'm looking at myself through the character and thinking, Hey, you know, if, if I could tell that character or something, I could say, keep going, you know, you can do it. But at the same time, I understood why my character couldn't do it. Look what she'd been through. And so parallel, you know, as a parallel to my life and the character's life, I began to realize my worth. And I thought I've wasted years. I was in the relationship for 10 years and I, uh, in my 30s. I said, these were the best years of my life. I was my most vibrant. I was my smartest. I, you know, I, I had the strength in my 30s. And here I am now in my 40s, and I'm having to start life all over again. And it really bothered me. I wasted 10 good years of my life to start from the bottom, to start from scratch. And I said, okay, so from now on, no more time wasters. Nothing else will waste my time to where I cannot soar and be everything in life that I should have been or could have been. Now it's my time. And once I made up in my mind that that's exactly what I was going to do and became thankful for everything, even the abuse, that sounds weird, but because of the abuse, it made me the woman of, uh, you know, to, to be stronger and know my worth. It, you know, when, when I was in the abusive situation, I couldn't see that I was being abused and, and my self-esteem was shot. After I got out, I knew my self-esteem was was destroyed and I needed to build myself back up and be be the person that I was supposed to be 10 years ago and I you know I say to myself it's not a loss and I still have time it's never too late even if I was 80 years old it wouldn't be too late to be everything that I want to be and uh, that's that's just been my goal and I've been able to like I said achieve those degrees and things have gotten better and better. The more thankful I am, the more gratitude I show. Uh, wow, thank you. Here I am. I have my own place. I'm free. Once I got in my apartment, I can remember I cried every day that I would turn that key and walk into my own apartment. I literally would stand there for a moment and cry because I was so happy. I would walk in, first of all, throw my keys down, and, and I, out loud I would say, do you hear that? And I, was, I would pause. I'll say nothing. You hear nothing. No one is arguing. No one is asking you where you've been. And I would bawl. I was, I would just cry because I was so elated and thankful that here I am. I'm alive. I, I, I did it. I did it. I don't think you can say anything more powerful than that, Tina, about that gratitude for the moment. And I mean, I can see you tossing your keys at that moment and just a big exuberant, you know, kind of feeling of gratitude. Yeah. And I think what I would like to ask you before we wrap is if you could talk to yourself, Tina, in kindergarten, knowing now what you know and what she will be facing do you have any words of wisdom or tips that you would give a younger Tina? What advice might you give someone so that they could continue to feel good about themselves and pursue their dreams and recognize their worth? I, I think that would be, you know, and even the best piece of advice I have received about that 
uh, I definitely would have told myself, you're worth it. You're worth it. Because as, as the, the, the young the young Tina in kindergarten, I knew I was worth it. I was happy. Wow. I wrote a book. Look, mom. Uh, you know, and I knew I, I felt good about who I was and I felt good about the things that I was doing. And so I would have told myself then, you're so worth it. You're so worth it that you can do anything. You can do anything you want to do. When you tell a kid that, a kid believes it. That, the, that's, it's so beautiful. Children, you can tell a kid anything. And that's what they believe. So if you tell them, hey, you're, a, you're so smart, you're so intelligent, and you pour into them that way, you, just like a, a flower, they bloom. But when you tell them these hurtful things, you can see them crumble. Their very spirits crumble. I would tell anyone the power of their worth. Never let anyone steal that power. It's theft. That is theft. And because I'm in criminal justice, I can say, you have been stolen. Somebody stole something from you and they don't have that right. No one has the right to steal from you. And so when, when you have uh, things stolen, you file a police report. You want, you know, you want those things back. You, can, you want things recovered. Be recovered. You've been stolen from, win your power back. Get your power back and start living again. And when we, when we get into the mindset of, you know, that we are going to get that power, we're thankful for everything that we have. The law of attraction, uh, you know, I, I really believe in the law of attraction. It brings more good things for us to be thankful for. It really does. And so when we say, I have the power and I'm thankful for who I am and I accept the person that I'm about to be, uh, then we open ourselves to receive more and more. And the more we do that, the more thankful we are, the more our flower blooms as we realize, wow, I am something. I am somebody. I am beautiful. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care if I look like a troll to other people. I am beautiful. I am somebody. And I'm going to do something. My mark is on this world. I'm going to do something in this life. Oh and, my um, gosh. That's, yeah. a, that's beautiful. That's so powerful and so beautiful. I said in the beginning, you only add one book and you're getting ready to publish your second. And now I realize that you're getting ready to publish your third. Yes. So where should people connect with you online so that they can keep up with what you're doing, buy your books? And I got to tell you, just when you described your genre and how you come up with that, I'm thinking, that'll be scary reading. I'll need to like really um, be somewhere light and bright to read it. <laughs> <laughs> but but sometimes it's fun to be scared. Where can folks find you? Where would you like them? Um, the book, um, the books are available. And I would like for you to join me on my website, actually, at www.cortinajackson.com. Uh, the book is available there. Uh, you can learn more about the books as well. I have book trailers that I created and um, very exciting. You, so you get a chance to kind of see who I am. I have a gallery of pictures and, and speaking engagements that I've uh, had the opportunity to do. So if you connect with me there, I'd be so thrilled. I'd be so thrilled to have you to come to my website. The books are also available on Amazon. So for people who um, uh, enjoy the Amazon Prime and those different aspects of Amazon, it's available there. Uh, the books are called On Earth As It Is In Hell. Look for the one by Cortina Jackson. And the sounds of silence are the loudest. Yes, I'm also available on all the social media. I ask that you follow me 
on Twitter at Tina the Writer, Instagram at Miss Tina underscore the writer. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. And then I'm just starting a YouTube channel. Uh, so if you search for Cortina Jackson on YouTube, I'm going to be putting out stories where I actually read portions of my stories with the, the nice background and the, the dramatics of, um, of reading the story. And I'll have book trailers there and you can learn a little bit about things upcoming. So yeah, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, Cortina Jackson. And I love people, love people. So it comes across, that. it comes yeah. across in, in your voice. We will also put links to those in the notes to the podcast. So it's easy for people. But again, I really hope people will pop on over to your website so they can find those um, and link there and, and just get a sense of your vibrancy from your pictures. Cause yes, absolutely. I smile fun. all the time. You I truly smile. do. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Tina, thanks so much for carving out time to be on the podcast today. And I'm really wishing you all the best with your third book as well. Oh, and go out and change the world like you have been. Oh, wonderful. I tend to do that. I love you all so much. Believe me, I pray for healing for everyone. So it's not fake. What you see is really what you get. And I'm just so very thankful. Um, I thank you, uh, Miss Sarah. And I I just thank everyone for um, listening to my voice and giving me an opportunity. Well, it's our pleasure. I'm speaking on behalf of everyone listening. Thanks. Thank you. So that's it for this week's episode. If you liked what you heard, please hop on over to iTunes or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. This helps us get the word out to more people just like you who want to live a no-labels, no-limits life. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.